Hi everyone. Welcome back to our podcast Moving to Australia. I'm your co-host Arun Belur and joining me in the studio today is our founder Amitabh Deb. Today we're going to focus our discussion on the most frequently asked questions for the Australian PR process. We are going to be covering a range of topics like skill migration, regional migration, employer nomination because these are the most talked about topics when we have clients who come on board. or when we have an hour long skill assessment session with them over zoom mm-hmm. so without further ado let's dive right in amitava how yes, you been how's your weekend <clears throat> yeah very good thank you good afternoon very hot uh, today how is the weather in gosford oh it's extremely hot it's about 32 degrees unusual for yeah, spring now right very very unusual for spring at this time mm. of the year yes but i'm still loving it better than the cold weather Yes, well, I I like cold weather. <laughs> so let's dive right in. Let's start with skilled migration. Mm-hmm. Um, the most frequently asked question when it comes to skilled migration at the very top of the list is, who should be the primary applicant? Should it be me or my spouse? Mm, yes, many many prospective migrants who are married, or they have a partner, de facto partner, and they want to. start the journey for australian pr process the first question they ask okay i am qualified my wife is qualified i think my wife has uh, better skills so should she be the primary applicant and me secondary or or they don't even second secondary there's a dependent so here is my answer when you start you don't know who is going to be primary who will be primary will depend on who is invited first the strategy should always be both the applicants if they have the required skills should get their skills assessment done do their english test because that's the mandatory requirement and then subsequently will lodge registration of, sorry expression of interest EOIs for all the states that participate in addition to the general category which is subclass 189 and also additionally maybe ROI registration of interest for the states that participate in that registration of interest process so after doing all these floating all the EOIs slash ROIs one per person will get invited either the primary or the secondary whichever person gets invited i would say go forward the rest of the family then becomes secondary applicant it doesn't matter ultimately the aim is to have pr it can be through the to the main applicant well there's no main applicant in that respect could be the husband and um or it could be the wife and then the other people other other applicants can be secondary applicants so one thing to remember there is no such thing as dependent a lot of people ask me who is going to be dependent there is no dependent it's either primary or secondary primary by its definition one person can be primary and everybody else everybody else means spouse and children can be secondary but once the visa is granted everybody has the same visa 
the visa does not say who was primary who was secondary yeah even even though the cost when it comes to skill assessment and taking the english test goes up mm-hmm. you would still make this recommendation because the probability of you now being invited mm-hmm. significantly goes up because now you have two of them putting in their application lodging That's their correct. eoi but it also depends on which occupation and what is the backlog for that occupation just to give an example an accountant with a very very high score could be way behind the queue because there are many accountants in the system waiting may have a lesser chance than someone say a florist probably okay. because there's hardly any florist in the queue Even that's why the skill assessment that's why the skill assessment is so important when you guys yes. do it well it's mandatory important and mandatory without skills assessment one cannot move all right jumping on to the second question if i am the primary applicant can i include my spouse later yeah if you have a lot of money use yes you can if you include your spouse at the time of application the primary applicant pays 4000 something and the spouse has to pay or for the spouse you have to pay 2000 something however if you think that i want to add spouse later so you get the pr you want to add the spouse it is 9000 something dollars so it's just plain arithmetic you add the spouse maybe the spouse can join you later but get the pr for the spouse as well now why would Makes somebody sense? even think about including think, their spouse later in the application because they don't know they think that if they include they'll have to travel with the spouse and it's very expensive so what i keep saying is that you get the pr it doesn't mean that everybody has to pack their bags and leave just one person goes there finds a job gets a decent settlement and then gets the rest of the family yeah that's reasonable advice mm-hmm. number 3 i have 10 years of experience in it why does australian computer society deduct 2 years or more from my initial work experience that's a very interesting question earlier there was no deduction now deduction is actually uh, the uh, made the real terminology is deemed someone is deemed skilled after certain years of experience so if you do not study in australia suppose you study in the uk or even in russia and if you study bachelor's degree in it then the initial 2 years of experience is considered required to attain the required level which means those 2 years will not be counted towards your points those were re- removed that that is if you have studied it now if you have studied minor in it like electronics and telecommunication engineering then there will be a deduction of 4 years that means you will need to be working for 4 years before you are assumed to be skilled and if you study non it like say you did bachelor of commerce and mba then you need 6 years and if you have not studied at all then you need 8 years because your experience is now nothing to do with your academic qualifications they're completely separate yes well correct 
That's why the number of years required is more. And of course, to be reasonable, they, they say that, you know, you, are, you have studied civil engineering and hence you probably needed six years of experience to be at the same level of someone who is qualified as a software engineer. A lot of people come to me and say, oh, I have studied civil engineering, but I have had a lot of IT courses. Still, if you do the mapping of subjects, they're uh, in the overall scope of subjects studied, those subjects would be negligible. The major is civil engineering, right? Correct. So that's how it is. So this is something that you see only in the IT industry or any background other, or other majors um, as well, like civil, architecture, mechanical, electrical? Not in engineering. Engineers Australia do not make any such assumption. You are an engineer based on your qualification as long as your qualification is recognized. That's what Engineers Australia say. But there are other assessment bodies like VETSS. They will deduct and they have they have a chart. If your uh, occupation is in Group B, you require to have a bachelor's degree. If your bachelor's degree is in the nominated occupation, then one year of experience is required before you attain the required level. If your education is not in the nominated occupation, then three years is required. So there's a whole lot of things. They, they will deduct a certain number of years of experience, and that is all listed on their website. I'll, I'll give an example. A management consultant, management consultants are assessed by VETSS. Now, if you have an MBA, then only one year of experience is required to attain that required level. Now, if you do not have MBA, suppose you have Bachelor of Information Technology, and then you have become a management consultant, then you need three years of experience. The next one, can I include the years that were deducted by skills assessment body towards my experience points? Um, there was a change in the regulations which suggested that you can indeed include the initial experience towards your points as long as it is aligned to ENSCO. So even though Australian Computer Society removes two years, you can still claim. Having said that, the state governments do not accept that. The state government will say, no, no, we really want you to claim only the experience the skills assessment body has suggested, especially in New South Wales. Some states do have a concession. I had a situation with South Australia. They accepted the years that were deducted. But generally, for subclass 189, you in fact, can claim that experience if it was after uh, your qualification. Moving on, this is probably on the top of the list of everybody. How long is my skill assessment valid for? Uh, skills assessment is usually valid for three years unless otherwise stated. Now, stated by the assessment Aust body? Yes. Australian Computer Society states it is valid for two years. 
everything else is valid for three years now engineers australia have they have a different way of looking at it they say that their skills assessment do not expire but because the department will not accept skills assessment after three years uh, they you can request them after three years you can request them for a reissue of the skills assessment letter is there a fee for that uh yes hundred something it's very nominal fee as against thousand something dollars for the assessment by engineers australia it's a, it's, it's, they call it reissue of the skills assessment letter however if you have gained experience and you want experience assessment separately then that's a different story you have to pay for it okay but if i reach out to them and i request for this reissue how long is that valid for then another three years another three years how long is my english test valid for uh, english test is valid for three years now pt it's, it's a it's a strange one because pearson test in english the test report will say we are uh, our score is valid for two years but the department of home affairs will accept a score that is three years old and why is that yeah, that's that's how they have regulated oh, that's good mm. moving on to the next one i have been invited for skill migration but i am turning 45 next month what will happen to my application now once you're invited everything is frozen it doesn't matter if you turn 45 so you just need to have the invitation before you turn 45 yes okay then let's connect this with a question that people have regarding regional migration mm -hmm. they say i will turn 45 soon mm -hmm. how can i be eligible for pr after holding a 491 visa for three years as i will be more than 45 years old when it's granted so for the purpose of the second stage which is subclass 191 yeah after holding 491 for three years they do not look at your age your age has been screened when you are invited for 491 subsequently what matters is two things you have lived and you have worked in a regional area for three years so the most important thing is to get into australia before you turn 45 yes well not get into get invited <laughs> you oh, can I mean, get yes. into australia get into australia i mean get invited maybe your visa grant letter will come after two years well it should not but even if it does you can still get into australia so some more questions about regional migration now a lot of people have questions about work opportunities there so mm -hmm. what do you have to tell them because they think that because there are less opportunities they don't want to live in a regional area yeah well, well i think uh, work opportunities are probably proportionate to the population right sydney melbourne they are bigger cities so be more work opportunities regional areas like adelaide perth canberra have lesser population so lesser opportunities but ultimately it's the same situation the competition will be even less jobs less people looking for jobs true uh, and uh, another important thing is to, to remember is that uh, 
regional area is not rural yes so regional area it's uh, the government as a policy they want to spread out the population i think newly arrived migrants for psychological reasons they would like to move to sydney or melbourne in the beginning and then they will probably not move so the government is encouraging people to move to other areas saying you know there australia there is more to australia than just sydney and melbourne just venture out it's beautiful there are opportunities and when people move opportunities are created that is very true can i move to another state after i get a subclass 491 visa the regulations do not stop you from moving to another state having said that the state government usually they take a declaration undertaking saying you know i will i am committed to this state for 3 years so a state government may if they want may cancel your visa they probably won't but home affairs do not care because according to the regulations of 491 you need to be living in a regional area meaning any regional area it's just that you do not or you cannot live in sydney melbourne brisbane apart from this three metropolis everything is regional it's like in india you know um bombay and delhi okay so yeah. a lot of people who want to move to india they'll say okay i want to be in mumbai or delhi so But just to clear that out so if someone gets a 491 from adelaide and they move to australia they move to adelaide they don't get a job or they're not satisfied they don't have to continue living there if they seek employment elsewhere in another regional area it could be right. perth or it could be tasmania hobart mm-hmm. they can still move there and make a living correct so moving to employer nomination mm-hmm. i want to apply for a work permit can you help me Um, That's a frequently asked question for you. Yes, yes. So I think a lot of people confuse with the H-1B visa of US. Okay, for Australia, if you want to apply for a work permit, you need to have an employer. A lot of people come to me asking for work permit, and I say, look, you know, I do not give a issue employment. You need to find an employer. Once they have an employer who can sponsor, I can. help with the process it's a three stage process mm-hmm. an employer has to be first uh, approved to be a sponsor then they have to go through the nomination process do the labor market testing and then once the nomination is approved the applicant can apply for the visa the work permit visa it's also known as tss temporary skills shortage visa does this take longer than what it would normally take for a 189 or or no, this this is process very fast very fast in a couple of months okay but you have to find an employer who's willing to employ you and sponsor your visa yes right and that will further on just lead to pathway to permanent residency a lot of indian it companies they get specialists for short periods of time on this visa like tcs tech mahindra 
Accenture, they all hmm. utilize this visa. Coming to partner visa, mm -hmm. a lot of people have questions around how as a citizen or as a PR holder, they can bring their partner into Australia. Mm -hmm. So one of the questions is, if my marriage was arranged, which happens in some cultures, how can I prove history of relationship for partner visa? If the government is aware of arranged marriage situations and that there may not be a history of relationship, then these situations need to be covered using statutory declaration. So they have to write, narrate how they have met. It could be through matrimonial websites. It could be through introductions from their respective parents and how they met each other. So there needs to be a certain element of connection. It cannot be like you arranged and then the guy comes there to India or wherever and gets married without having met. So it is important to meet know each other and that knowing each other could be just for a day and that's fine you can't get married without meeting a person first how does the government define history of relationship if someone is not married if it's their de facto partner and they've been in a relationship for five years or longer then how does one prove the history of relationship what is it that they are looking for uh, relationship uh, if, if someone is not married then they need to be living together for one year at least. They have to demonstrate that they have been living for one year immediately before the application. And usually that is through joint lease and joint ownership of assets and liabilities. So maybe they took out a home loan together. So that's a joint liability. They took a joint lease together. Joint, they took, bought a car together, traveled together. And you need to have photos together and uh, describe those photos, not just both together, but with families and friends to show that the relationship is recognized in the society. Okay. Moving over to business visa. Mm -hmm. One of the questions that you get asked quite often is how much money do I need to invest for a business visa? Lots, lots of money. <laughs> Sorry, uh, that's where I think people go wrong. Business visa doesn't mean you have lots of money and you come and invest. You need to have a history of either business or investment. So there is a visa category known as subclass 180 business innovation. In that visa, there are four or five streams the first one is business innovation that means someone has been running a business for at least two years they were at least 30 percent owner the turnover was more than 750,000 australian dollars they have assets of more than 1.25 million australian dollars then they're eligible to apply okay, okay. That's so that's big investment that's the yeah, that's the business innovation. 
business investment visa is when someone has invested someone maintains a portfolio of investments like someone who invests in share market for example and they have invested at least 1.5 million australian dollars in any one financial year in the last four years sorry last five years then they are eligible to invest so investor visa is 2.5 million dollars now there is a catch they can only invest in government bonds state government bonds okay they cannot invest in buying a property for example how does australia gain if someone brings a lot of money and buys a house for himself and retire so the purpose of business visa is to attract investors to come here set up business and contribute to the economy not um retirees who want to come here with a lot of money and just retire another question for business visa is my family is very rich but i do not own any assets can i apply for a business visa uh, one of the streams of business innovation visa is known as significant investor visa siv so if you have a spare 5 million australian dollars then you can you can apply if you are invited by a state government and that 5 million australian dollars have to be invested in designated bonds government bonds and they'll be stuck there for 4 years and then you have to have a business plan on what you intend to do once you get that money back so all these rich people they might have their parents give them a change of you know 5 million dollars okay my son go and build your life in australia they can do it that way or they can come here set up a business and their business can actually sponsor them so if you are capable you can set up a business a business become, becomes an entity and that business as an entity can employ myself it's called self sponsored visa i have done it for a couple of people high net worth individuals okay and the last one for today this is regarding people who are coming in as refugees from countries like afghanistan syria or mm -hmm. ukraine and they ask you can you help me with the refugee visa oh that's a humanitarian visa there are several ways to apply one cannot apply just from overseas they have to be here they have to have relatives here it's a big gray area for me <laughs> so and not anyone can just apply and move here they need to satisfy a lot of rules now a lot of refugee visas one can apply for once they are in australia but the fact is the reality is how are they going to be in australia in the first place in those days people used to come here on a boat they somehow went to indonesia hired a boat came to australia they're known as boat people 
they came and said, we do not belong anywhere, please help us refugees. So I don't deal in those cases, but it's not easy. But there are genuine refugees, of course. And Geneva Convention lays out the requirements and how refugees can apply for refuge for a particular country. Now, if someone is traveling, say, to Australia via India, and they have spent three days in India, then the convention says that they should have applied for uh, refugee status in India. They cannot then apply for refugee status in another third country. In fact, if they if they are genuine refugees, they lived in India for five days and came to Australia, they are not eligible to apply anymore. So it's a it's a big area. Maybe we can talk about this Geneva Convention another day. Sure. And on that note, I would like to say thank you. This conversation has been very, very insightful. Thank you. Thank for you. For those of you listening, thank you for your time and your patience. If you need to get in touch with Amitava, uh, the links to the DMS website, his LinkedIn profile, and our Facebook and Instagram page will be in the podcast description. Thank you for listening, everyone. Goodbye. See you next week. Thank you.